welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Much to her amusement, um, we have to feign some response to fear, which only drives her back around in the same place that she was hiding two seconds before for her to jump out again and shout boo. Sometimes she doesn't even bother with hiding. She just puts her hands in front of her face and she's convinced we can't see her. So um, the joys. So why would I mention that? We're, we're going into, and this is really our main launch point, into a series on restore the awe. Now, I'm very much aware that in modern society, most people's engagement with the word awe is as part of the adjective awesome. Yeah? And it's been transformed into this really, really kind of cool, trendy type thing. And as we've seen that, it's kind of watered down the real meaning. So I thought, I thought it would actually bring us back to what is the meaning of awe? Okay? If you see me looking at my phone, it's because I couldn't get the printer to work, and so my only notes are on my phone. I'm not actually texting my wife. Um, an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, fear, produced by that which is grand, sublime, extremely powerful, or the like, in awe of God, in awe of great political figures, it used to be about the power to inspire fear or reverence. It used to mean fear or dread. So when you were actually going around saying awesome, what you're actually saying is that that terrifies me. Yeah? I mean, that, that's effectively what it really means, but it's been converted and twisted into, yeah, I think that's really cool. So why do we want to restore the awe. I, I became a Christian at the age of 23. Um, and at that point in time, I'd never really been involved in the church. So when I came into the church, I suddenly found out there were all these different denominations and I've always been in a charismatic Pentecostal church. And it, it always confused me and I, you hear little bits and pieces of people talking about other parts of the body. But God has taken me on a journey, and through that, he's taken me on a journey through which I've been able to firsthand experience these different parts of the body. And in going into some of these parts of the body, some of the bits that we sometimes go, well, they're just stale or religious, I found an incredible thing. You see, when you enter into what they describe as the sanctuary, the place where they have set aside for the worship of God, they step into that place with a reverence for what's going to happen there. Yeah, they step in with an expectation. They don't walk in with cups of coffee having a chat. Everything stops. They become quiet. They become just in absolute reverence of what they're expecting to find in that space. And it's an incredible thing to learn and engage with that reverence for the presence of God. We're going to talk a lot about this subject of the fear of the Lord. And we're going to be talking about it over a number of weeks. 
And you're going to hear a number of different perspectives on this. And so this morning, I want to share mine based on a journey a few years ago when God really took me on a place where he, he made it very clear that the only thing he wanted me to understand that year was the fear of the Lord. I want to, before I go into that, I just want to have a little bit of an understanding. Um, how many people know who the Bible was written for? Sorry, that's skipping off the page a bit. Anyone know? Any guesses? Us. Yeah, it wasn't a trick question, honestly. The Bible was written for us. It was written for human beings, people like us, okay? Now, the beauty about the fact that we have a book, right? We have a book that was written for us. And the beauty is this book was written not just for us, but by the creator of us. And so in that, the creator actually knows what it, what it needs to achieve, what is needed to achieve the outcome that he desires. So what is the main outcome that God desires? He, he desires for all of us to become saved and come into communion and family with him in eternity, isn't it? says that in Timothy. God desires that we would all be saved into his lifelong experience. He wants every one of us to live for eternity with him in paradise. That's his heart's desire. He didn't create us so that he could torture us. He created us so he could spend eternity with us. So when we understand that, we begin to look at, okay, fear of the Lord is a topic that runs right the way through this book in different ways, in different places, and you'll hear over the next few weeks many different angles on that. But we've got to understand, if there is such a topic as fear, because I don't know about you, but fear to me growing up has always been a really bad thing. It's a negative thing. Yeah, it's usually got negative connotations. It's usually used by those who want to manipulate or control or that kind of thing. And as a result, Many people who don't truly understand the fear of God think that God just wants us to be controlled because this subject of fear of God is throughout the Bible. But fear cannot, there's different things that motivate people, okay? I'm not going to go all the way into the psychology and all these different bits and pieces, but just trust me, there's, each and every one of us is made up of a kaleidoscope of different things that motivate us. And one of these is either moving towards something good, i.e. We, we hear of something really good and we move towards it. So the Bible talks about the, the story about those that come into his presence and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, yeah? So some people will be motivated by the desire to hear those words themselves when they come to know Christ and come to meet with him, yeah? But on the other hand, there are those that are, have this move away from. So there's something bad and they want to get away from it and that's what motivates them, okay? So for example, for some people, the fear of not hearing the words, good and faithful servant, will motivate them to do stuff. Does that make sense? And you can decide for yourselves which one you are. But we've gotta know that when this is communicated, God wants to motivate everybody into the right behavior and the right understanding that will lead them into eternal, his eternal kingdom, okay? 
For some people, fear will stop them doing something wrong. Yeah, it will be there as something that will actually be a blocker that will stop them committing or doing an action that would lead them into something that is worse. I'm quite happy that my daughter is afraid of cars and traffic at this moment in time because we're trying to stop her running out in the road and doing silly things like that, which could result in something really bad. Fear also could make, motivate in a positive direction. Yeah, I'm currently being motivated to the gym because I fear losing sight of my belt buckle. Okay? There's different things that motivate us, and sometimes fear isn't a negative thing. Sometimes fear can be a good thing. I've grown up afraid of heights all my life. Now, that's really good because it keeps me away from large drops, yeah? And I believe falling off, well, it's not so much the falling as the, the stopping at the bottom that hurts, yeah? So fear doesn't necessarily need to be a negative thing. It can be there for a good reason. At this moment, we're, we're living in a world which is gripped by fear of a virus spreading. As a result of the fear of that spread of the virus, there have been certain things put in place to try and restrict that happening. Now, that, that's fear being used in a positive sense in some regard, as long as it doesn't become something that dominates our entire existence. Does that make sense? So, here we go. Are we supposed to fear God himself? This is one of the interesting questions that really came to me when I was trying to study and understand the fear of God. Because here we've got what is thoroughly talked about all the way through the Bible as a benevolent God who loves us with all of his heart. The Bible actually says God is love. And to me and my mindset, fear and love don't really go very closely together. In fact, if you believe what Frozen says, they're actually opposites. Yeah? <clears throat> I've had that drummed into me about a thousand times over the past year or so. Um, so are we f supposed to fear God himself? It's an interesting question. And in that, God keeps bringing back to an analogy. I wasn't always a Christian. As I said, I didn't become a Christian until I was 23. And growing up, that meant that the people I hung about with, they weren't Christians either. And at one point in time, I think it was about 18 at the, this point in time, we have a friend of ours who'd been in a long-standing relationship, and he just found out that his girlfriend had been cheating on him and had moved out and gone off, and he was really quite depressed. So being non-Christian people, we, all his mates, thought we'd gather around him and support him and pick up a couple of crates of beer to help us do that. And so we rocked up and we, we just had a, a house party in his house and one thing led to another and we decided it would be a really good idea if we all shaved our heads and went to the pub. <clears throat> that was the first day that I actually wore a mohawk and it was thoroughly well shaven, just like B.A. Barocas's at that point, just that whole buzz cut mohawk and we walked into the pub and I was with a, a particularly good friend of mine <clears throat> who goes by the name of Valley. And um, Valley had grown up and had a reputation in the neighborhood that we grew up in. He was one of the skinhead posse, and they used to entertain themselves by going around and fighting with other people. 
They didn't always ask the other people's permission before they started, but they, that was kind of what they did for entertainment. And Valley was particularly known as being one of the more um, influential, you might say, in that kind of group. And so we'd walked in and I had an interesting encounter because I, I had met this guy, Mark, because I knew his girlfriend and went to school with her. And I'd gone out and she said, oh, you gotta come meet my boyfriend and all these types of things. And we went, to, we went down the pub and we were chatting. And I was actually in the toilet and this guy came up to me and said, oh, have you seen where Valley went? And I said, I've got no idea who Valley is. Because I'd heard all these stories about this big scary monster. But the person that I'd actually been introduced to was just this really nice friendly guy. And so in that situation, I hadn't connected the mark I'd met with the valley that I'd heard about. And then, and then I began to put the two and two together and we, we became friends and I, I heard the stories about all the things that he'd done, but I'd never actually been there or witnessed any of it or been engaged in any of those activities myself. So there were always this kind of story that was connected to the actual person I knew who was this gentle hearted person who actually for a job worked with special needs kids and things like that. So there was a complete discontinuity for me. He actually got his great joy out of working with Down syndrome kids and that was what one of the things he loved to do. And so there was this big disconnect for me. And anyway, this night we'd gone down and we were, we were in the local pub and the, the local pub was like a long corridor. You came in through a door straight to the bar a long corridor with bench seats down one side and then you had the pool table and the dart board down the other side of <clears throat> And we came and we sat down and they had these tables and they were just like long slabs of wood um, that had all been varnished that ran along in chunks in front of the, the bench seats. And we came in and we'd sat down with our drinks. And it was the most entertaining thing because the moment we walked into the pub, and this is a pub in Scotland, so there's, there's not a lot really stops the pub in Scotland. But it was just like in one of those movies. We walked in through the door, and it was almost like the jukebox itself stopped too. Everything went dead silent. They just looked, and they saw the four of us walking in the door, and they were like, oh. And we sat down, um, and we ordered a drink, and we were sat there, and I don't know what caused it. I don't know what set it off. But Valley just picked up the table with two hands, and this is a long, wooden, heavy table, and it just flew across the bar. And it cleaned up about four or five people in doing so. And the whole bar just stopped. And they were, you could just see the terror on their faces as to what was going to happen. Um, and then I realized that they were all looking at me as the only person who could stop him. And I was, I was put in this place where there's this horrendous situation I'm right there next to it, seeing it all evolve. And it was a bit surreal for me because as I said, this was the first time I'd actually seen and connected those behaviors. And I realized that all these people were looking at me. And there was a moment where I recognized, hang on a second, what if he turns that on me? And then I thought, hang on a second. I know who this is. That's never going to happen. So I picked him up. He's not a tall guy, but he's pretty solid. I picked him up and I carried him out of the pub. And as I put him down, he turned around and he looked at me and I could see in his eyes and he clenched his fist and he looked at me and I just went, it's me, calm down. And he unclenched his fist 
And in that moment, I recognized that the bond that we have was more than whatever rage had overtaken him. So there was this potential for rage, but there was also something much more in there. Those of you that are um, Narnia fans, any Narnia fans here? Yeah, you, you probably can't help but remember the conversation between Lucy and Mrs. Beaver. And they're talking about Aslan the lion. And they're talking about this great big lion. Let's be honest, lions are not known as gentle, cuddly animals. I know there is actually a video on YouTube where this guy goes out into the South African plains and all these lions run up and give him big hugs and everything else, but that's really unusual. Please do not try that at home. Um, But the lion is this big, ferocious, and not only that, Aslan is a huge lion. He's not like your standard-sized lion. And she says, is it safe? Just, no, he's a lion. Yeah? But then Aslan himself turns up, and he's someone that they learn to embrace and love, even though he has this terrifying roar. You know when they go into battle, Aslan's right there at the front, and everybody at the thought that Aslan's in the war goes, oh, I'm not even hanging around. Yeah, they're only prepared to be there to fight as long as Aslan's not there, because that's when they think we've got a chance. So are we supposed to fear him himself? Mark and I are still friends. Um, he's changed a lot. He's... Uh, He's got five kids now, and um, now attends church. People, people change, and there's, there's an element where you begin to go, right, okay, are we supposed to fear the person, or are we supposed to fear what they can do? Exodus 20, 18 to 21 says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. Now, if you remember, Exodus 20 begins with God laying down the law, quite literally. It's the Ten Commandments. And in the previous chapter, we're told that God says to Moses, when you come up on the mountain I speak to you, they will hear it. They'll hear what I'm saying. And so this is Moses is coming back and everything's going on. They're all going, eh, we're not getting close to this. Moses, you're on your own. You go up there. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. It goes on. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. See, God doesn't want us trembling every time that we're in his presence. We're supposed to rejoice and be filled with joy and love in his presence. But the fear of God is there, and we should all be conscious of it. Because if we meander off the path, it's the fear of God that's there to help us from going too far, to divert us back into the loving God that we know he is. God doesn't want us sitting trembling going, oh no, God's coming, oh no, God's coming, oh no, God's coming. He wants us to rejoice that he's coming, but he also wants to be conscious of what he is going to do. He's already declared by his word what is going to happen in the end. 
He's already declared that Revelations is not a myth. It's not a story that's made up to scare people into doing things right. It's actually the truth about what will happen in the future. And God's told us that so that we can actually not be part of that judgment. So that we can not be on the wrong side of that judgment, I should say. We will all pass through the judgment. But God wants us on the right side because he wants us in eternity. He wants us to know what will happen but not so that we're restricted and we don't move, but so we're motivated towards him. Fear what God can do. How many people here have heard the words, or you may have used them, wait till your father gets home? Yeah? Let's be honest, we don't really want our children to fear their father. Yeah, you don't want them to live in fear of this, this man that's in the house. They, you want a loving father. But the suggestion is fear what he'll do when he finds out about what you've been up to all day. Yeah? Well, I believe that's entirely linked to when we talk about the fear of God. It's fear what God will do when he finally comes. And he re-enters this world in a way that is going to reshape the entire existence of this planet. Use it as a guidepost that helps steer us. Anybody here been temping bowling? Yeah? Do you put the bumpers up or are you brave enough to just leave the lanes? Because the fear of the gods like having the bumpers up, right? It's something that we're supposed to bounce off and keep, keep using as a guide. Ideally, we don't need it. But it's there that should we be drifting too far off track, it helps redirect us back to where we should be. Throughout Proverbs, and there's more, and it's not just in Proverbs, this is also in Job and Psalms, we hear the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And, sorry, Glenn. Uh, Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Prolongs life. Is instruction for wisdom. It leads to life. God doesn't want fear to be something that dominates or takes away from who we are or what's going on. He wants it to be something that helps shape us into embracing the full life that he has for us. Fear can be a very good thing. Fear of getting caught speeding can help you slow down, right? We might laugh, but these, these are some of the things that, and it's usually fear of the wife finding out you've been fined, but um, these, these are different things that come along, yeah? The beginning of knowledge. I really struggled with that, the beginning of wisdom. How could fear be the beginning of wisdom? You probably gathered, by the time I, I was coming to become a Christian, I had been leading a life that was less than saint. And beginning to understand who this God was began to challenge and help me look at the things that I'd been doing previously in light of his word. The fear of the Lord, when I began to search it and ask God to reveal to me what the fear of the Lord was all about, I got taken on a journey that blew me away. 
Because instead of talking about dark, horrible things that God could do to me, he started to show me how incredible he truly was. So when I started to explore the fear of the Lord, he started to really give me full revelation that the God that we speak to and worship is the God who created the universe. He is the God who spoke into being everything that you see. He is the God that created every planet, every galaxy, every piece of dust. He is the God that knows every hair on your head. And I know that's easier for some than others, but the truth is we've got this incredible God who who has created the big picture. He doesn't just see it, he created it. But he also has the finest detail to know everything about each and every one of you. The incredible nature of God is so big and so vast that if you ever think you understand it, you know for a certain you've got it wrong. Because the truth is, our limited brains cannot truly comprehend everything about what God is. That's why we use analogies and all these types of things to help us understand facets of who God is. Because He is so incredible, so vast, so far beyond our ability to comprehend. We're bound by time and we're limited. But God is everything but And so we begin to truly recognize God for who he is. And then we step into the reality that even in that who he is and all the creative powers and everything else that's going on, he sent his son to die for our sins. That's terrifying. Fear of God followed by obedience of God. As I said, the fear of God is not to stop us in our tracks. Yeah, we all hear about the fight or flight and these types of things, yeah? God doesn't want us to just be, because that's actually been expanded to fight, flight, freeze, or there's another one, um, and I can't remember it. But a lot of people, they get afraid and they just stop. Yeah, they get overpowered. They just stop. They freeze. That's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to be motivated into servanthood. The book of James talks frequently about the fact that if you genuinely have faith in God, then it will motivate you to change everything about who you are. You will be different. You will be a different person. You will think differently. You will act differently. You may dress differently. This all comes from a true revelation of who God is and how amazing He is. Psalms 2, 11 and 12 says, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Wow. We go from serving with fear to being blessed if we are in his refuge. Sometimes, this used to really confuse me until God began to show me things like the analogy with my friend Mark in that if we recognize what the potential 
for what can happen is there. And we choose to serve, to bless, and to honor. To move into that, we stand in that refuge, that place of refuge. When we're close to God, then I trust the, the enemy and all that comes from him is nowhere near there. I think most important for us in this day and age is an understanding of the fear of God versus the fear of man. Yeah? Every single one of us has at some point in our lives experienced peer pressure to do something we probably know that we shouldn't. I did. I was 12. I spent a decade involved with drugs as a result. Peer pressure is alive and well in workplaces and schools and all of these places where people use intimidation to get people to do what they think they should do because either they don't want to do it alone or because they want to control and they want to feel powerful. God doesn't need you to obey him to feel powerful. Yeah? He's already created the universe and he's still doing stuff. Yeah? He doesn't need us, an obedience, our servitude, anything like that to make him feel powerful. There is nothing that could possibly make him more powerful. But men do. Women do. The ones that are insecure, the ones that need that, they'll try and put pressure on you to do the things that they want. It happens so frequently. One of the places I experience this most is in business. And where managers use KPIs as a form of fear to drive wrong behavior. Okay, Glenn and I work with a number of people where we're trying to swing the pendulum in the other direction. And we're trying to help them realize that KPIs, yes, they will drive behavior. But you want them to drive the right behavior. Don't let the world push you into doing something that stands contrary to this. Yeah? In Psalm 3, 6, it says, I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. The Bible very clearly says that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. When we understand that the thing that could cause the fear of God is actually also the thing that empowers and emboldens us to be out there facing and standing up to the things and the powers of man trying to direct fear in our direction, we can truly stand up for what's right. On Thursday, I was having, um, I was having a cup of tea with Margaret Court. Now, some of you may or may not agree with the stance she took. Um, I'm, that's for you to decide. But what you must know is here is a woman who is, bizarrely, by the world's only own religion of sport, considered the greatest of all time in what she did and what she is related. So, bizarrely, the world has this person who by their own kind of pseudo-religion of sport, they can't remove from, from prominence. They just can't. It, def it, it would defeat all of their own rules around this religion of sport that they have. 
And she is so convicted by standing up for the truth of the Bible that she's quite willing to say, look, I'm sorry, this is what I believe, and as long as you're going on a journey that's contrary to what I believe, I cannot support you. Which is effectively, which is what she did. I know it's been twisted and turned in the media into something else, um, and I know that Israel Folau came along with a much more aggressive approach to the same thing, so I'm, I'm not speaking about him. But here you have a woman who stood up and said, this is actually what I believe, and I'm sorry, but I have to go with what I believe. And as a result, most of you will be very aware of the backlash that come and has come to the point that when she was being honored, because I don't know, this is the 50th anniversary of her Grand Slam. And so all around the world, all of the events that uh, she won in the Grand Slam, they're supposed to honor her by inviting her down and just as they did at the Australian Open, present her with a, a replica of the trophy and that kind of thing. Two out of four have refused to invite her because they're afraid of what people might say. Okay? Those that have invited her, like at the Australian Open, won't give her the microphone because they're afraid of what she might say. You've got to decide what's going to motivate you. Are you going to be afraid of what people around us think? And look, I'll be honest, I, I have been in a place where I've felt an urging from the Spirit, but I've been afraid of what others around me might say or think, and so I've not always acted on it. You know, those are the biggest regrets I have in my life of the times where I've felt God pushing me and I've said no. That's part of why, for me, understanding the fear of God has transformed my entire life. Understanding the fear of God helped us step out of a secure government job into a place where I had no idea if I was going to have any income. Understanding the fear of God has helped me step out into spaces where other people fear to tread, to take risks in areas because he's telling me to go forward, because my fear and recognition of his power and his ability and his love and his spirit let me know that when he calls me to step out of the boat, he's not going to let me drown. Because I know that this is the creator of heaven and earth. I know that the water is more afraid of not letting me drown from him than I have to fear of drowning. The Bible says that even the rocks will cry out if we don't. His very creation will cry out if we don't because they understand who the creator of heaven and earth is. I've moved into a place in my life where one of the biggest fears I have is living a life without God. Every day, yesterday morning I was at a men's breakfast and I was sharing my testimony. And just that, that process of going through and thinking and remembering and reviewing your life and beginning to see again all of the places where God has impacted and transformed and changed my life. All of the places where he stepped in, where the world says it can't happen and God's gone, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. 
all of those places, just I was blown away once again by how awesome God is. About how magnificent he is, but how personal he is. And we come back to this place where don't let fear of God be something that drives you away from him. Let it be something where you recognize the true awesome love of God and that it will draw you in, that it will, it will give you a chance to break away from the fear of man, to not be constrained and restricted by the things that the world would have you know and have you think, but to step beyond that. Because if God says it can be so, it can be so. Use the fear of God to help you trust every word that he says. Use the fear of God to help you step beyond what your own imagination can picture. Use the fear of God to inspire you on because I know that every single one of you has been made for a heavenly purpose. Colossians 3.16 says that everything that is made was made by him and for his purposes. And that includes everybody here. Now, if the things that God is laying before you, you think that's too big for me, I can't handle that, then you're probably listening to the right thing. Let the fear of God drive you on because God wants to show you what he can do through you. He wants to inspire and engage you and take you to a new place. He wants to relate to you in ways that you cannot imagine because he loves you so much. Because he's done everything there could ever be and he wants to engage further. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.